0: The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday major on the planet with one million and one dollars on the table every week. Yes, one million dollars guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The one million dollars guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.
1: Hello and welcome to Ask Alex episode 172 on the OneOuter.com podcast sponsored by AmericasCardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from AmericasCardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group facebook.com slash group OneOuter. This episode and all our previous episodes are on OneOuter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for a future show, then please email questions at com, or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, it's Thursday. How are you? After like the fourth attempt to start on this podcast. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm good, Barry. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Um, we've got sun here. I've got my blinds open in the living room and there's lovely Scottish sun pouring in. Blue skies with just a few clouds and... Hopefully, this is spring, summer, a way to start soon, and we're going to get some sunlight and stuff, because this long winter has definitely uh, been hanging around far too long. And I actually like the dark and the winter and stuff, but it's April the 5th now. I mean, we need to get some sort of vitamin D started, or we are all going to have this seasonal, whatever, depression, disorder, sad, you know?
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I winter starts in October here and it still hasn't ended so maybe it's a lot like Scotland there but even this morning I looked out and I went oh it's really nice and sunny then I went outside ah it's uh it's zero degrees celsius nice so it's uh like how many degrees celsius is it there by the way 32
1: degrees fahrenheit everybody but yeah uh how cold is it there Barry right Um, now I think this afternoon when I was in my car it was about 10 degrees centigrade, so let's see what it is just now. Um, where are we? Nine. It's nine. Uh, not, not that bad. It's warmer there than uh,
2: here, which isn't normal yeah. for Scotland. But yeah, we kind of sound like two old men talking about the weather. What's uh, You wanted to read something out on this podcast, right? I, I don't know what it is. What What is it?
1: I know. I was listening to our podcast a couple of weeks ago, and it was... Uh, Econ Talk, uh, E-C-O-N Talk. Uh, they're available on iTunes and stuff. It's quite a decent podcast. And as you can tell, sort of from the name, it's economists and economics stuff. But they get really interesting guests on. And they had Nassim Taleb on, author of The Black Swan and Anti Fragile, um, which is some excellent books if anybody's familiar with his work. And I was listening to one with him, and there was just a few points and a few quotes he mentioned on them, and I thought they'd be worth bringing up on the show. But we'll talk about it because it's sort of uh, relevant to risk management, so we can talk about it. I think there is a question. There is a question on bankroll. So what we'll do is we'll maybe start the show. Or we'll do that one second to make sure it's in, and then I can we can talk about it there. There were just a couple of quotes that really hit home. They were quite succinct. They were quite good.
2: Okay, we'll go with that. Yeah. So I guess we should do our normal bs before,
1: before well, we... Well, what's, get what's been problem. happening? Apart from the weather, how's, how's the new place now? Are you settled in? Are you furnished? There's Is there any new house noises? Like, the listeners are dying, <laughs> with, dying with excitement and anticipation. <laughs> I died
2: laughing at new apartment, new noises. Mm. Uh, the, the last name of the podcast that you gave this one. Uh, yeah, things are going pretty well in the apartment. Uh, I don't have my couch yet. I did buy a couch, but I'm still waiting for it to get shipped to me. Everything else is here. My office is set up. My office is really nice. I have a big open window, lots of sunlight, and I look out into uh, you know like some apartment buildings, fire escapes in New York, which is just not something I thought I'd ever get to experience. It's really been a wild ride, this poker life and all the different things I've gotten to see. Uh, It's just weird thinking about 10 years ago I was in Malta looking down cobblestone streets, kind of uh, Italian-esque, Arabic-esque villages and now to be here
1: is pretty, is pretty or, sorry, when you said looking down, I just thought you were going to say the barrel of a gun. I was like, you know, <laughs> ten, 10 years ago in Malta, I was looking down the barrel of a gun.
2: <laughs> yeah. nah, if, if you got a gun in Malta, you would be pretty impressive, because uh, I don't think I ever heard of a gun in Malta. But, yeah, uh, drugs were another matter in Malta. There, there, there were a ton of them. But, no, if, if things are good here. I'm trying to do... Uh, it's just weirder when you get older. You realize nothing is ever really balanced, and only the only things that really mellow you out and take away stress are exercise and slow time, right? Time away from smartphones—stuff we've talked about before—but just time away from smartphones and technology. Period. That seems to be what really mellows people out. So I've been really getting into just working out more. It's it's almost weird at this point not working out during the day because I just feel so off. It, it's taken me a long time to get to that point, uh, like seven months. But, uh, yeah, just try I – I guess what doctors say might actually be right, which is you're supposed to work out every single day. And that really does make me feel a lot less stressed. And, uh just because I'm living with my girlfriend now, I think I'm having this little bit of a shift where I used to think self-care was pretty narcissistic. I even hated the word self-care. But something I never realized is if you're not taking care of yourself, that goes outward to everybody else, your frustration, your anger. It affects your poker game too. I I just picked up this book uh, at... Storybooks or whatever the little bookstore is around the corner. Uh, it's called Spark, and it's supposed to be the quintessential book on how physical fitness increases mental performance. And I haven't gotten very far into it, but uh, one of the first things they're talking about is there was this school that wasn't performing very well, and they, as an experiment, they started a real intense physical education. Class where you actually you'd show up at high school and you had to run miles, you had to lift weights, and they spent some money on that and actually brought in people that knew what they were talking about, and now they have some of the highest standardized score test scores in the country. So the premise of the book is that there is a connection. I can from personal experience my focus. In WPT Montreal was much so much more superior, so superior to what it was just a couple years before when I was pushing 240 at about six feet tall, uh, 240 pounds, and I guess in kilos that would be I want to say like 110. I'm not positive on that, uh, but when I was doing that, it was just it was hard to stay awake, much less uh, focus at the poker table, and. I really want to come back to poker, but on my own terms, which is I don't want to do this as a profession anymore because I I do not believe anybody should be playing tournament poker professionally. I really do not believe it's a good idea. Uh, Just unless you're playing like 60 tournaments a day, average buy-in of like $50 online and you're playing small networks, I just don't think it's a terrific idea. I think you're going to do a lot of work for a very moderate amount of money, and you can find, if you're in it for the money, you can find other things that will pay you that kind of money that I think you'll find much more engrossing and fruitful, and you'll get quite a bit more contentment out of it. Uh, that's not to knock anybody that's trying to do that. I just find the variance now, just due to the education of the traditional player. A standard player now might not be a great player, but he's an aggressive player, bad player or he's a little bit more prone to sticking around. So if you're gonna do a bluff, it's gonna be a bigger bluff. You have to hit a few more hands. And it's a little tougher to do for a living, but I really enjoy poker when I'm very much doing it for the love of it. And it's been a little harder the last six months finding that time because I've really been rebuilding. It was really nice being in Newark, New Jersey because Uh, Maybe not the nicest thing to say about a city, but when you look around Newark, New Jersey, you get this overwhelming feeling of, oh my God, i got to get out of here. So you end up working quite a bit. Now, I'm in Queens, which I really like, but I'm not working as much because there's no sense of, okay, I have to get out of Astoria. Astoria is a really nice place. But it's harder to find the time to work because I'm working so much. But I want to come back into poker when I'm really physically sound and focused And I can do it leisurely. But it's it's interesting how everything is all connected when you come into your poker game, right? Like it seems like the people that win poker tournaments are the people that don't need to win poker tournaments, right? (laughs) Which is perhaps why there's more of these white males that come from upper middle class upbringings, which is if they bust, you know, they just go back home, everything's fine, whereas if you have a lot of pressure on you, it's going to be very difficult to think straight, so I've been thinking about just trying to, the things we always talk about, Barry, just balance, right, like always trying to find that balance, and as I get older, the more I'm realizing you, the older person, are right, which is there is value in doing nothing, there is value in sitting there. You know, you you used to refer to it jokingly as your box sets, but I, I don't even think anybody knows what a box set is anymore. But you uh, used to say, I think it's really valuable that I watch kind of my cheesy movies and as I get older I think, yeah, it's really valuable. It's really valuable because it gives your mind a little bit of a vacation, which if you think about an athlete, your mind is a muscle. An athlete can't be in the game twenty four seven. The the athlete's gonna pull a muscle. And if your brain is always, if you're just going from 12 hours of work to coming home and reading business books nonstop, uh, you're just gonna pull yourself out at some point. But yeah, yeah, what what I've been trying to do recently is meditate, which is much harder. But have you ever tried meditating, Barry? Yeah, yeah. It's tough, It (laughs) not
1: it's really tough. I think it's I, I think what I found when I'm doing it is not tough when I actually do it I think what's tough is getting into the routine of doing it regularly for me and um, touching on what you said about poker like when you said don't play you don't think anyone should play professionally you know tournament poker and whatever I think the way I look at it now and the way I would say is play tournament poker professionally play cash games professionally in the sense of the word take them seriously and professionally, like approach them professionally. But I think what you mean to say is like, don't play for a living where it's your sole income, because I think that is that is a total different ballgame.
2: I I don't think anybody should have one income revenue source these days. I, I just don't believe that to be an intelligent idea in this economy, in this world, where Elon Musk, Mr. SpaceX, is telling us you're going to have to confront the idea of a basic income at some point, and artificial intelligence is more dangerous than nuclear arms. I think the world is changing too much and is far too likely to change too much in the next 20 years for you to depend solely on one thing. You should learn about live poker tournaments. You should learn about live cash. You should learn about online poker tournaments. You should learn about online cash. You should become obsessed with what you're doing and then counterbalance. I think counterbalancing is a really good point. Uh, Finding perfect balance is close to impossible. But one thing I think that's really easy is to let yourself become very invested in a bunch of different things and then try to meld them together, right? This is something uh, Scott Adams makes a really great... Uh, one of, one of the, my favorite books I've ever read was uh, Scott Adams, the guy who uh, writes Dilbert. He wrote a book called uh, How to How to Fail at Absolutely Everything and Still Win Big. And one of the things he talked about is if you combine a bunch of different skills, you'll likely be much more serviceable in this economy than someone who specializes in one thing that could go out of vogue. So he says, learn Spanish. Uh, learn how to use PowerPoint. Learn how to use, you know, learn how to do this, learn business writing, learn and I can tell you in my life, like as far as poker players, like if you get a ranking of poker players on earth, tournament poker players on earth, like out of the top thousand I'd probably be like five oh nine or something, right? Or seven fifty eight or whatever you want to give me. But as far as having a job within the industry, I'm one of the most stable because I know how to make PowerPoints. I know how to work within business. I know how to do business writing. I know how to write articles. So I don't really believe anybody should, because that's worked so well for me, and when one thing has dried up, I've gone to another thing, uh, and that's given me a lot of stability. And thusly, bringing this back to poker, my poker game is much superior to, Because I'm not worried when I'm at a tournament. If you play, like, unless you're Daniel Negreanu or one of these great talents, if tournament poker is your life, then you're going to have one or two deep runs a year that decide your entire year. That is going to be a tremendous amount of pressure on any human being. I don't care who you are. And quite frankly, I don't think most people are geared for that. And I wouldn't want anybody to experience choking deep in a tournament because I have experienced that and that is one of the worst feelings ever to know that you failed yourself. And one of my greatest motivations when I teach poker, I'm always stressing simplicity because I'm always telling them, when you're final 24 with the chip lead in the PCA, you don't want to do what I did which was you had 22 different thoughts, 18 different thoughts, seven different thoughts in every hand And you just couldn't really connect to the one that was very important. So you made a decision that you thought was subpar. You made another decision that was subpar. And for the rest of your life, you get to wonder, was I going to be at that final table? Was I supposed to be at that final table? Could I have conducted myself differently to get to that final table? Were the preceding nine months to my standards? Did I treat my body well enough to be at that final table or did I let it go? You don't want to be in that situation because there's no worse feeling on earth than knowing you failed yourself. But if you diversify, there is, it's a game, and it should be treated as a game. And games don't go perfectly, especially games of chance. When I was in the final four tables of WPT Montreal, it didn't go as well. I didn't final table like WPT Prague, but, well, even WPT Prague, I didn't care. I was deep in the tournament, and I was very relaxed. Because if I busted the tournament, I got to go home to taking my family to Central Europe, and I had my business, I had my other things going, and I think that allowed me to play fearlessly. And you could stop and appreciate the moment a little bit, and I noticed in that ease, you could see much more going on. Whereas if you're deep in the tournament, this is all you have going on in your life. You're not really. Slowing down the moment. You're not, you're, you're choking is very different. Like you forget how to do what you know. And I, so I really think people should diversify as much as possible. And I think that goes back to like the health issue as well, which is you can't just push yourself 60 hours a week to play tournament poker. You need to, especially as you get older, Barry, it's like it's so much harder to be. Like, when you're 20, you can treat your body like crap and you'll just keep going. But once you cross 30, like, I, I don't know about you, but, it like, I really have to take a time out all the time. And I think that's where meditation comes in. Like you said, it's hard to know the time. That's my biggest problem is checking in with myself during the day and going, like, do I need five minutes? Do I need 10 minutes? Do I, do I need – something I was thinking the other day is, like, I, I'm too busy not to meditate. Because if I want to clear my mind and be able to work 10 hours a day, I can either go really hard for six hours and then the next four hours will be garbage. I can go really hard for six hours and watch baseball for two hours and do another two hours really productively, but then I only get eight hours of work. Or I can go really hard for six hours, meditate for 20 minutes and then come back in and go up until the end and do much better quality work. I met it it it's really it's changing things in my mind and I, I think that's really I was struggling a bit on the online felt and not playing as much as I'd like to, but I really think I've brought it back around with I, I, I don't know like you gotta train like you're an athlete now. Like this stuff is so much harder. Like in the old day you just showed up and if you could tie your shoes two times out of three you were fine, but it, it just does it's not like that anymore. People gun for you now. You have to be awake and alert. You have to be more awake and alert than the other guy. And I just I don't believe your mind that the muscle is going to be working at full capacity if the rest of your muscles are atrophying.
1: The thing is, you said a, something there that reminded me of a great quote I always think of meditation. I can't remember who said it, but it's like if you don't have 10 minutes a day to meditate, then you need an hour. You should be meditating for an hour to meditate and that that kind of sums it up but um, yeah it's, it's another tool and people think it's sitting in a chair and going um for like 20 minutes or whatever but it's different there's lots of different things there's transcendental meditation there's even just mindfulness which is to be honest more what i try and focus on when i'm feeling a bit like that you know stressed or anxiety or whatever um, I just focus on my surroundings and your breathing and stuff, and it's amazing what just being in the... When you do that, you actually go, shit, like, how many times am I actually not even in my body? I'm just in my head, like, round and round, and you're not even... You know, We I think we talked about this before, you could be watching a film, and 15 minutes in, you go, I've not watched any of this. My mind's away. Like, I've just... I have to rewind this and start, like, start again or whatever, but... Yeah, it's definitely, I think with smartphones and the distractions and stuff, and I promise listeners, we are going to get in the questions. Alex uh, said that, you know, that, but some guy wrote in and says, don't ever apologize. We're not apologizing, but we do like to, you know, try and keep it, because I think myself and Alex can both, once we start talking on a subject, we can both go on for, it. we could probably do an hour on this, Alex, or two hours, you know? Yep. Uh, yeah. But the thing is, it's just another tool to your arsenal. If you can just quiet the mind, is that like you. I think you'd be amazed at what what you can do, and especially when Alex says decision making. The amount of times I can count, I've been in poker tournaments where I've made maybe a little bit of a automatic play of just like, oh, that's you know that's a shove, whatever. And then we've all done it. Ten minutes after the tournament, when you've you know you're out, you're walking around the casino, you're way ahead to, to your car or whatever you start thinking through things again and just that moment of sort of clarity inside, is going well if i had done i didn't have to do that there that was pretty or i could have did this or that there just seems more options whereas like you said when you're in the moment you've maybe got all these options just thrown at you going around in your head and your mind and body is just reacting in a way like i just want this done like let's just do that and you'd probably be amazed that sometimes you've sabotage yourself in poker tournaments just to avoid any more continued anxiety even though you've not labeled it that but stress you know your mind and bodies probably just went "Bah, get out let's go you know that there was
2: a quarterback uh in the united states who in college he was the best american football quarterback like anybody had ever seen He's was just this gunslinger, running gun, could do anything, and they put so much pressure on this guy. His dad said, before he went into the NFL, he was like, one day my son is going to call me from prison, and he's going to say, you know what, this is better than the pressure. Uh, people just want to get away from pressure, and that it, that guy, Johnny Manziel, uh, they used to call him Johnny Football, like he's considered one of the biggest NFL busts in history, like never did anything in the sport, Right. And uh, I mean, it, at the professional level, the, the potential for self-sabotage is very pronounced in tournament poker as the pressure ratchets, ratchets up. And if I think there's anything very educational about tournament poker, it's that it exposes you to high-intensity decision-making. And I think that's actually very educational. I think that's incredibly beneficial for life but if I could teach anyone about their poker game the thing I always reach for when I'm in those situations is what is the most important thing for me to think of right now and if I can get to that usually that allows me to clear my mind because my mind is not being very discerning most of the time it's just going I'm thinking of this I'm thinking of that I'm thinking of this and if I go, what what is the most important thing for me to think of right now? Uh, and sorry, Dennis just texted me and then my I have this stupid thing on my uh, I have this stupid thing on my computer that brings up my text messages now because my poker players are always texting me and it just distracted me for a second. But uh, oh, I just completely lost it. I hate you, Dennis. I really hate you right now, Dad. No, but uh, it, always focusing on the most important thought, trying not to self-sabotage. And the other thing I wanted to talk about is if you think about an athlete like working out in a gym, after doing a really extreme set, what do they do? They lay on the ground, Right. They're not trying to be productive there, but their trainer might even say like lay on the ground, deep breaths because for the next set, the guy's got to really exert himself in order to get results. And he's not going to be able to do that if he's just pacing around, right? Or even jogging in place to keep his heart rate up. And a lot of life is like that. You're doing 40 yard dashes. You're, You're working really hard. So, the big thing, I, I think when you say meditation, a lot of people picture a long-haired, a, a bearded Indian man sitting around in robes. And it doesn't have to be like that. Like very same saying, mindfulness, just paying attention to where you are. My whole thing is you're not trying to stop yourself from thinking. You're trying to slow yourself down. That's it. And give your, give your brain a little bit more oxygen to work with. So just focusing on your breathing, closing your eyes, reducing your stimuli. Because you don't realize it, but when you're on your smartphone, you just start buzzing. Your brain is buzzing all the time. That's why people are always on it. It gives you a little dopamine hit, right? It's just like smoking a cigarette. And if you can free yourself from that, I I, I just find my focus to be much better than it used to be. I've really struggled with my poker game over the years. I've never been in love with my poker game, but I'm, I'm really... I'm not in love with it, but I'm starting to like it a whole lot more as I start treating the mind as a muscle that needs to be disciplined and just not trying to clear my mind of thoughts, but just breathing, getting oxygen in, resting, trying to focus on what you talk about, mindfulness, the the noises around me, the the sensations, is uh, what can I see if I do crack my eyes open. Anyways, that's enough of that. Let's 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 save some babies. Let's Answer some poker questions, Barry.
1: Nam- namaste. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> okay, the first one I got you. Actually, we're going to change it. We're going to do the, the bankroll one because I mentioned that question at the start of the show, and I've got a little scrap of paper that I can hardly read my writing on that I'm of the quotes from that podcast I was on about. So we're going to do that before I lose the bit of paper and it's gone forever. Let's get it on record. So this first question is one that was sent in to Alex and it's from Anonymous. That old person, Anonymous again. And do you have any bankroll management tips or suggestions? I have a small role that is poker exclusive and I used to give myself an allowance from my wages. But I have since stopped doing so in hope that I can use my money one from poker, to continue playing long-term. I am playing mostly mid stakes, $250 to $500 or 1500 to 2000 events if I satellite in. I play the occasional daily as well. Other than getting out of the Bad Beat Village, what would you suggest to continue fueling my poker role? I can drop down and play more dailies, play online. I have access to ACR, Ignition and Global. Or play cash either low stake, no limit hold'em, or mid stakes limit. Any tips would be appreciated. Thanks.
2: Well, anonymous,
1: I actually know who this person
2: is, but I didn't get their approval to use their name before we went to air, so I just made you do it as anonymous. So just so you all know, this person did not specifically say, like, I want to be anonymous, but... There's two different answers to this. One is, if you want to be a professional poker player, I'm a nit when it comes to bankroll management. I always was a very mediocre poker pro and made much more money than my peers because I stayed in contention. I stayed relaxed when I was in contention. And it's not about being the best poker player a lot of the time. It's about being in the game and being present in tricking the better players when they're not having a good day. And I think the way you do that is make sure that you're never losing an amount of money that's really going to scare you. So when I played professionally and I, before anyone asked this, this is why I worked so many odd jobs is I didn't have this kind of money from playing cards, but I worked as a commercial fisherman I worked as a security guard and I worked as a landscaper so I could put money in the side and I had six months of expenses, and I had 100 buy-ins for cash, I had 200 buy-ins for tournaments, and for cash games I had 50, 65, I can't, oh no, no, for cash games I had 100, and for and goes I had 100, and then for tournaments I had 200, tournaments should have been 300. When I was moving up in stakes and I wanted to take a shot, I would make sure I'd have in cash games like 50 to 65, and I'd always have a threshold, right? which was, okay, I have 65 buy-ins for this cash game. Once I get down to 50, I have to, I have to grind back up, right? And I, I'd always have, I'd have points where I had to move down and I had points I had to move up. And that's really when I enjoyed online poker the most was when it felt almost like a video game that I was playing 8, 10, 12 hours a day and you could level up. And I was very religious about it. 200 buy-ins for every tournament. So if I had, you know, if I didn't have uh, 200 buy-ins for the tournament, even if I was only 50 bucks under, I would never say, okay, I'm still going to do it. I would just go, I, I, I would, uh, unless I specifically decided mapped out, I'm going to take a shot. I think this game is soft. These are my set number buy-ins. I would never show up, look at the lobby and go, okay, I'm going to take a shot today. No, 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 no had to have a lot of preparation. It's just, you're just like a pool hustler. You gotta, you gotta make your mark and you gotta, you gotta know what you're doing before you sink your shot. Now, that, that's, that's if you have all the time in the world though, which I did as an 18 year old male with no dependents. So I think a lot of us, when we give you guys advice, it's a little disingenuous because we're assuming you guys have 60 hours a week like we did, which is not true which is why I recommend most people, I think the fastest way to real-term success is keep your day job. Make sure you like your day job. It's really hard to love your day job, but like your day job. I have the greatest job in the world. There's a lot of days I don't love it, right? But make sure you like your day job. Make sure your day job pays you a little bit. This means staying in school, kids, right? Staying and getting a good education. Make sure your day job isn't too taxing on you. And then when you do play poker... Yeah, I, I think it's good to have a little bit of a stipend from your main job, right? And you can decide how serious you want to go with this. And like Barry was saying at the beginning, play the game in a professional manner, but do not play professionally unless you're very young, have no dependents. And why not? Take a shot. Have fun. You'll learn a lot, right? And you might be one of the guys that can do it, but most people aren't, quite frankly. Uh most people find out about three, four years in they don't want to do this. It's the saddest part, which is sad to me because I love the game. But the the thing I would say is have a little stipend from your job, and if you can replenish your bankroll pretty effectively, play as much as you can with that stipend. It is your recreational funds. You're not you're not spending it on pot. Uh, there's a lot of people that would never judge somebody for buying. Three hundred dollars worth of pot every two weeks. Why can't you devote six hundred dollars a month uh, to to your poker education? It, uh, by the way, it's possible you're if you're listening to this podcast. There's a very good chance you're already positive EV. Uh, furthermore, it's a mental game, so it kind of keeps you younger. And there's a lot of people that go out every Friday and Saturday night, and you know, between parking the car and uh, tips and drinks and getting dinner with their friends, it's like $150. Let's say it's $150 a week, which it's not. A lot of times it's $220 or whatever it is. But let's say it's $150 a week. That's, again, $600 at the end of the month. If you want to devote that, if somebody in New York was saying, like, I go, you know, the thing I really love is chess. I go to a chess, uh, I go to a chess hall every, uh, every week. And it, You know, we play for money. There's a lot of bad players that want to play chess for money, but it's like $600 a month uh, to get in and play the games for money. Nobody would blink their eyes at that. They'd be like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a really cool way to – that's a really cool hobby. Uh, So I'm I'm a big fan of uh, being a little bit more aggressive with your stipend because if you want to take your money from poker, I think – what you should do, if you have money set aside from poker, as this person does, which great for you, that's awesome, I would – well, <laughs> then it becomes a personal decision. Do you want to grind it up? If you want to gr- grind it up, if you – there's different people. that they, they get a joy from that. If you really like online poker, grinding it up, global poker, ACR – these are your sites. If you really love live poker, you're not going to get in nearly as many hands, so I think you got to move up a little bit. Not move up, but play one, two, play one, two very seriously, and you're going to log a lot of hours, a lot of hours. And daily tournaments, I like and I don't like. I like them for their frequency. I dislike them for their structures, but they're definitely a good idea as well. But I, I think those guidelines will help you quite a bit now what was the quote you wanted to read out barry
1: yeah it was about nassim taleb was a trader originally an options trader and he did that for years made money and then sort of turned into academia in terms of well I, i think he doesn't really like himself being called an academic in the sense that he doesn't for a university and stuff because he he always talks about skin in the game and don't trust anyone with opinions that don't have skin in the game like politicians etc or people that make decisions in banks who whether they win or lose they still get their salary and stuff he he's very much the sort of entrepreneur vision of you know you you reap the consequences and the rewards you can't just have all upside and stuff so And he was talking about, and it was just on risk management, he was talking about a few things. And if you're really into this sort of stuff, I definitely think you should check out Econ Talk podcast and look for the most recent episode with Nassim Taleb, which was a few weeks ago, or possibly even a few months ago, when it first came out. I only listened to it a couple of weeks ago. And he would say, when he was an options trader, the way that they looked at bankroll management and in terms of risk management was... He said something like, take all the risks that you want, but make sure you are in the office the next day. He said that was his sole purpose. Like, make sure you cannot be destroyed. He's like, as long as you can make sure that you're in the office again at 7am the next day, that's the game. That's the sole purpose of the game. And upside takes care of itself. And in order to make money, you, you first must survive. And I think that's the biggest thing that people forget with poker in terms of the, the amount of people that go through role after role and even guys that practice bankroll management. And the, the key thing was, is what he was saying, is he used this big analogy of um, you send 100 people to a casino and after day after day you tell them to gamble, you know. And it's like, if one person goes broke, then is that going to affect the overall thing? And it's not, because obviously some people will go broke the first day and whatever. And you'll keep going and keep going. And you might have one outlier that just survives and survives and survives, you know, a year and then goes broke or whatever. And then he says, but if you send one person to the casino, then, you know, what happens if they bust? Then that's it, sort of thing. And you've got to look at yourself from that. And his argument is, even if you're betting with an upside, even if you're betting with an expected value, you're plus EV, you will go broke if there's a percentage chance of you going broke. And the only way to combat that is proper Kelly criterion bankroll management. And which is, Alex has discussed it, you know, when we look at tournament buy-ins and we've talked about 200, maybe not even being enough, enough possibly 500 buy, etc. Like, oh, see yeah, how? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So the key thing is, is you must to to distill that and break it down. It is not just saying, ah, uh, you know, I'm playing the 50s and I'm playing, Yeah, well, okay, I've got 120 buy-ins. Right, I'm gonna play down to like 80 because like these games are weak and I've been running bad. Whatever. It's like no, you. The only way is that you follow the proper rules and you drop down and you adjust and you make sure. It's about surviving and then the upside takes care of it. So surviving and playing well and studying. And I think it's the surviving thing that people don't don't get with poker. And again we've talked about it, once you've got a role that's more difficult to replenish or it's gonna be a upheaval to replenish, whether it's for some people that may be a thousand dollars, for other people it could be five, ten grand. But whatever that figure is, if you can't easily replenish it, then you must do that total defence and play and treat it like it's the last money on earth. Because technically in the game it is. Because you're, you're either going to bust. And that's the thing. The guy on the podcast went, oh yeah. And he went, no, that's not what I'm saying. He's like, even if you have the edge, betting the edge, even if you're in a casino and you were card counting and you could, even if you could see his cards, he argued variance still comes in and you will still go broke uh, in certain percentiles per how many games. You know, you'll, if you just bet the same all the time, you, are, you will still go broke even with an edge because of variance. And, and that's the thing. And I think in poker, that's magnified even more so. Um, because the edges, people obviously, they always overestimate their edge. And I just think the quote about the, the key is to be in the office at 7am to start again the next day. I, I think that sums it up better than anything we could say or, or what we could talk about.
2: I think that's a really good way to put it. I, I have I have different views on this because I started out as the biggest bankroll net there was. I literally never deposited online. I turned that into a, a very large bankroll, a substantial bankroll. and I did that by being in the office the next day, as uh, Mr. Taleb would put it which is I played low enough buy-ins to all my friends were making fun of me. They were like, you know, you got $1000, why are you playing $5 sit-and-goes? And I was like, I I'm, I just don't think I'm good enough for $10 tournaments. And people would say, how? This guy tells everybody and I told everybody I was going to be a professional poker player because it, that was my burn the boats thing, right? Like, I can't go back. I've told everybody I'm going to do this. Therefore, this is how I'm going to, I know I'll be awake till four in the morning to do this, right? If I've put myself in that position. But it was the whole thing, which was I had no other money coming from anywhere uh, unless I went out fishing and risked my life, right? And, yeah, it was just a matter of as long as I show up and I'm there, i won another day. And I had months where things weren't working. I just, I couldn't, the first thousand tournaments I ever played on PokerStars stars, I had a negative ROI, I couldn't figure out anything. Right, it was like the slowest learner, but just because I was in the game the longest, you end up learning things that other people never get the opportunity to learn because you just see so many hands. Maybe you learn something after 200 hands and this other guy learned something after 20, but if he goes broke on hand 18 and you're on hand 7 million, you're going to have a considerable edge on this person. But then I have another opinion, which is really unpopular, which is I think in this life at some point you have to get broke. You have to get out there. You have to take shots. And everybody does this thing where it's like, I want results and I want them real quick. It's like, go out there and get a concussion. Right. And I'm not talking a physical concussion. I'm like, go get hit by life. You want to be a musician, get on the road and be poor, and be hungry, and play every god-awful dive you can get in. You want to be a gambler? Go travel and play at every one of these live events. Go home and play online, and go for it. Play above your bankroll and see what happens. Why is everybody so scared? Like, especially, I can't fathom these. I mean, and I was like this too, which was, I had to beat this out of me. I was really entitled I was really having problems in poker. I wasn't learning, and at some point I got a little sick. At some point I said, "I'm going to come hell or high water. I'm going to figure out this game." And I pushed myself, and I pushed myself probably a little bit more than I should have, but I was like, "I will be in every 10k. I will find a way to make that happen. I I will do that." And it I had no business. I wasn't good enough to do that, but I went in there and I got my head bashed in enough that I'm not afraid of anyone anymore. I can't, at a poker table, I've seen every trick. You can't get me going. I don't care anymore. I've had breakdowns after tournaments. I've lost a lot. And then at some point, you the only way you become fearless is if you go through it. The only way you know that about yourself is to come to an insurmountable task and to go through it. And everybody's scared now. It's like, this is everything I hear in poker, which is, how do I make a ton of money with zero risk? And it's like, in what other way, in what other branch of life does that exist? Can I go open a restaurant right now and have there be no risk? That's not going to happen. By the way, you're gambling. You're playing cards. Everybody acts like this game owes them something. Every, Every musician I meet acts like everybody owes them something. Every academic entering the work world for the first time because they couldn't find one of very few tenured positions in the university acts like the world owes them something. It's like you need to go get hit and you need to go get hit hard because right now you're talking like someone who's never been punched in the mouth and that's not going to get you anywhere in life. You need to go experience things and learn. The only way you learn anything in this life is experiential wisdom so there's a balance. Yes, you must show up the next day. You must show up you must find a way to make that happen. But if you stick to your $10 tournaments the entire time and grind out your 1000 a month in your little corner of the world in your basement apartment, it's gonna stay like that. You have to go out there and risk it at some point. So yeah, anyway, that's my totally not politically correct opinion on that. Let's go to another
1: question. No, I, I think you do make good points. I think the thing is, it's about your circumstances in life. And people that are don't have any responsibilities, etc. You can take bigger shots. I think people like what we're talking about there is if if you can replenish it. You know, you're not going to protect with your life a five hundred dollar bank bankroll or a hundred dollar bankroll or two hundred. Take your shots. It, it's gambling. It's called gambling. You know. But I think a lot of guys. I mean, I even know people locally to me that I've had large five-figure and even into six-figure bank rules and they've been gone in six months and they've had to go back to jobs etc and I think that's when risk management that I think that's what separates the junk the people that then go whether that's with poker or life or you take the money off the table and do something else having an understanding a true understanding of risk management is what separates you from then just busting out and gambling it away and going, oh well, you know that could have been sort of thing. Yeah, I, I don't I agree. I agree with you hundred percent. If someone's sitting there playing ten dollar tournaments and they've got a two thousand dollar bankroll and they want to take shots in fifties and stuff, and then, then by all means, you know, it's <laughs> like
2: I bet, I bet, I bet, those guys that you saw with hundred and thirty k bankroll, they were playing every five k, they were playing every ten k. It's like no. To me, like if you want to be cutthroat, you play the $500 tournament, you go home, you play another shift. I used to play tournaments for 8, 10 hours a day, and then I used to go to my friend's house who knew how to play cash games, and I would play cash games for six hours. And I was like maybe two steps above the buy-ins where I was supposed to be, because I wanted to feel it at a certain point. I had to get going at a certain point. So I went to my protected bankroll that we discussed, right? But that's pushing yourself. Just Playing with four and a half buy-ins is just stupidity. It's like, yeah, you bring up a great point. You have to be there the next day. You must find a way to do that. You can play 10Ks and sell 80% of yourself. You can do that. You will be in the 10K. You will be learning, but you have to take it seriously once you get in there. You must deliver because you're not going to be selling pieces of yourself much longer if you consistently
1: don't deliver. So a- anyway, let's do one more question. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, all we got time for is this last question, and it is an email from, now. Nah, I think the guy's name is Mauro, 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 M-A-U-R-O. Hi Alex, how are you? Can I have general advice from you? I'm a Brazilian recreational player aiming to improve at poker. I am focused on en- online MTTs and nine-man sitting goes and so far this is my results. And he's posted his res- uh, graph, now let me see. There's like 8,000 games, and it's a pretty upward spike. He's made 3,500 over 8,000 games. Um, I've already purchased your Master the Flop, and that's a check raise videos, and Myth of Poker Talent. By the way, it's great. And I listen to your podcast at one out every week. But I feel I am not playing very well yet, and I am a little bit lost. Where should I look to improve? You have a lot of nice content, but I don't know which one is more suitable for me at this moment. Thanks very much, my uh, Probably your next video series
2: after that is Master the Flop. Master the Flop just shows a bunch of combinatoric ideas that tend to apply on certain boards and uh, uh, a lot of things like that. That was a bunch of videos that I put together for my students just based on like simplified combinatorics, thinking a little bit better. Uh, how to play specific boards that seem to always play the exact same way. I think that would really help you quite a bit. Uh, but the other thing, I, I personally believe the way you get better at poker is nobody wants to study. Every, everybody wants to play. Everybody wants to play. That's the big thing. And when people study, they want to study in a fun way, which is like, let's go over hand histories. It's really fun to go over hand histories. I love going over hand histories. I love watching tournament poker. It's a, one of I'm kind of a little sick like that, but you have to find a diner. Like this is a thought I've always thought of which is I think the real poker players are at the diner. You think of the guy before he goes into the WSOP and he's looking over a spreadsheet of all the Hendon Mob results of the guys at his table, he's looking up their online screen names and trying to Google whatever they've said on two plus two or pocket five. That's the guy who's the strike killer, right? you got to find your diner. you got to find your piece. You don't. my products will get you going up there faster, but I can't tell you how many people buy my products and just don't use them. Or they watch them once and they use it as entertainment and they get a few tricks from it. They make a little bit more money, but there's a lot more tricks in them. I know it. I wrote the damn thing. You have to, and you've got to start from big to small, big to small. Uh, one I always do is you have queen, 10 offsuit. You raise on the cutoff. The button calls you. The board comes eight-five-two. You guys have 40 big blinds. What's your C-bet there? Let's start with that. What do you do when you're out of position and you miss the board? What are you thinking of? What's your most important thought? I watch people do history reviews for 10,000 hours, and they just go, okay, so I see C-bet here. And that's it. You have to challenge yourself every thought. You have to develop ruthless self-reliance. You have to be ruthless with yourself. You have to check everything. Why am I betting this much? What do I think that's going to accomplish? What does Flopzilla say about that? None of us is smarter than Flopzilla. I can't do the combinatorics the way Flopzilla does it. I can't do that. So I checked Flopzilla. If Einstein was trying to figure out how how to play poker, I bet good money he would use Flockzilla. He would use Card Runner's EV because it would be faster. If we don't have the intelligence, the mathematical prowess of an Einstein, what are we doing thinking we can just wing this? Right? And I'm not saying this to you specifically, Mara. I'm saying this to everyone. I'll tell you I approach the 852 spot. I'm asking myself, to me, the most important thought is how do I get a side to fold? Because if I can get a side to fold, pretty much any C bet is profitable. So you can either do a two-thirds bet. Let's say you think that's going to get ace high to fold. Well, your two-thirds bet, how often does that need to work? It needs to work about 40% of the time. How often is this guy folding if he folds ace high? It's about 48% of the time. There you go. You cleared it. Or you can bet one-third pot, get him to call with all of his ace highs, king eyes, queen eyes, then bet a little bigger than half pot on the turn and get him to fold them all on the turn and you get another bet. But I didn't get to that solution by going, okay, I see bet here. Because I think this missed his range. You have to dig deeper. You have to be meaner to yourself. You have to be harder on yourself. The more, and by the way, it is the best feeling in the world when you're at a live poker tournament and you come up on a spot that you pictured in your mind and you prepared for and you are not scared. Everybody else you play with. Most people who play poker are very scared. Most men are insecure. They may not show it, but they are. And I do believe, since 95% of people who play poker do not make money, you have to think of what kind of person plays poker every single day even though they're losing money. There are people there are people who, in my opinion, are trying to prove something to themselves. They want to feel better about themselves that means they're not that secure. You want to be the most secure guy at the table, you want to beat them, you're going to have to study more. And you're going to have to study harder. Not just, look, I showed up and we're doing hand history reviews. No, it's got to be deeper than that. You have to ask yourself, I was always, the only skill I ever had is I didn't believe in myself. I believed in preparation. I, did, I knew if the moment I had evidence of this, if the moment came up and I didn't prepare for it, I knew I would show so I was so afraid of choking, I worked harder than anyone I knew. I w- woke up earlier than anyone I knew, and then eventually one day happened where I was like, I know how to play all these spots. Like, I'm having a harder time finding a spot. I don't know, know, of course they come up, there's, it comes up like once, so every like four lessons, I go like, oh God, I don't know what to do here, sorry. Uh, let me look it up, actually, maybe someone knows. Maybe no one knows, I'm not sure, but I, I, I don't know. But it doesn't happen nearly as much as it used to because I just prepared, right? And you can do that too, but you have to get addicted to preparation. You have to get addicted to intense study, deliberate practice. You think about if you want to become a chess master, chess masters study eight, 10 hours a day. You're trying to, you're picturing being a Doug Polk or a Jungle Man or a Patrick Antonius or whatever, those are the grandmasters. Grandmasters study eight, 10 hours a day. The worst of them are like the ones who wing it the most study three to four hours a day. There's very few guys like Isildur that aren't consistently studying, right? There's very few of them. If you want to be a concert pianist, that's three to four hours a day, if not more, if not five, right? And if you want to be good at anything, you're going to have to prepare much more. And by the way, it's going to take like 10 years. It's not supposed to happen overnight. 10 years is pretty typical. I've studied a lot about peak performance uh, just for teaching my students. And it it usually looks like 10 years. 10 years is about what it gets. And like 10,000 hours, a lot of times it's just scraping the surface. You talk to any band that becomes successful, what are they going to tell you? They're they're not going to say, you know, I was eating Cap and Crunch in my mother's basement when I was 28, and then when I was 29, I was on an international tour, right? They're not going to say to you, well, I was, you know, I was hanging out with my friends most days, and we would jam a couple times a week, and I was working my job as a computer programmer, uh, but you know, really trying to hang out a lot, trying to spend time with my friends. No, a lot of them are going to say, I was on the road for 10 years with my band, no money, getting getting harder, it was horrible, we were sleeping in the back of vans, we were sleeping on people's floors, we were sleeping in bathrooms, and then if you'd asked me in year nine, would we have made it, I would have told you, I don't know. But I did it because I wanted to get better, because I wanted to prove it to myself, because I wanted to know that about myself. I wanted to experience that within myself, that I could prepare and become one of the best at this. And that's when things took off. You're not going to be an imbalanced individual if you want to get better, if you want to be one of the best at something that is as highly competitive as poker, where everybody thinks they can get a payday from it. Good luck to you, Maura.
1: Okay, and that is all we have time for this week. Alex, how can people get on the Alexander Fitzgerald train and get some of your training and content and upcoming videos, etc.?
2: You can sign up for my newsletter at my butt ugly blog, pokeredrush.com. It's at the top right. You just sign up in uh, the little, I don't know what you would call it, the module. It'll just say put your email address in there, and that'll get it. That'll give you all the free videos, uh, articles that come out, podcasts, all that fun stuff. I sometimes just write to you guys like, hey, here's a little thing I think is really important. Uh, sorry to you guys that are subscribed to that. Usually I try to get something out every day or every other day, but I'm hard at work on the next book. So it's been a little tougher finding time for that. Uh, follow me on Twitter at The and you can write me for anything at alex at pokerheadrush.com.
1: And keep your questions coming in for Alex on a future show. Please email questions at oneouter.com or tweet them or post them in the Facebook group and we will get them read out eventually on a future show. Thanks for listening. Until next Thursday, Moo! <laughs> Cheers! Cheers! <laughs> Uh, That was a reference to... uh, That's an Alan Partridge reference. Alex threw me last week when he had his lovely girlfriend uh, come on and say cheers at the end, and I didn't know it was going to happen. So I thought I'd do something to throw Alex this week. And it's an Alan Partridge reference. Uh, for those who've seen Alan Partridge show, he's interviewing some farmer, and the farmer's going on and on, and he just goes, moo, and he goes, I thought that I'd throw you. So uh, I really love Alan Partridge stuff, so that was it. It was, it was I. It was a joke to myself. Oh, okay, thanks th- Thanks for listening, everyone.
0: Cheers. Yeah. The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday major on the planet with one million and one dollars on the table every week. Yes, one million dollars guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The one million dollars guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.